Somebody was surprised they were doing good, I heard, so that was good. So it's interesting, I know with the time change and everything, uh, in the first service, the clock hadn't been changed forward, so I said, you know, I've got an extra hour and everything. Well, Randy quickly fixed that, but I just saw that it stopped at 10.30, which means I've got infinite time. So, yeah, waiting for Randy to run over here. Um, so yesterday was the Big Ten tournament. Uh, it wasn't a wonderful day for us, for IU, sorry, or for you guys, I guess, so us worked. But afterwards, Ohio State and Purdue and Indiana all went out to, to the golf course to kind of hit it and, and talk about everything. And if you've heard this before, uh, it happens before, but also the joke in my first service crashed, so I'm not doing that one again. But uh, it happens. Uh, so they were all golfing, and, you know, they get to hole 14, and the whole Purdue team just leaves. And, you know, Ohio State's kind of watching them, really curious, and like, what's happening? And, and Coach Holtman uh, looks over to Woods, and he's like, why, why are they leaving? Like, did we say something? He's like, no, they just know they can't make the Final Four. There we go. There we go. It's also historically accurate, if you check. So... So, so we, sorry. I heard a really good Macbeth joke that I really want to tell, but I'm not gonna. I might save it. I know that everybody's like, a really good Macbeth joke. Wow, I can't wait. Um, so we are continuing the perspective series. And this is such an exciting and cool series to me because we are looking at the story of Jesus going to the cross through the perspective of other people, through the eyes of other people. And then also we're challenging you to listen to another sermon each week, to, to listen to both sermons, to listen to the perspective of each of us and all of us as we talk about each story and we go through each person. And it's such an important thing, not just for, for the series, but to look at everyone through the eyes of Jesus, to look at a new perspective, to think about things like that. And as you know from the scripture reading we just had, today I'm going to talk about John. And one of the amazing things about John is, so everyone has their own testimony. I'm going to start there. And each testimony is important. Sometimes we get caught up thinking, well, mine's not that exciting, so it's not that important. And absolutely, if you hear someone who lived a life of sin or lived a life of struggle and then found Jesus, and they talk about that, that's such an amazing and powerful thing, and it's awesome to hear. But just as important, just as powerful, is the life like John who has lived serving him and steadily, loyally following him his entire life. He wasn't perfect at all, but he lived looking at everything through the lens of Jesus, through the love of Jesus. And so we're going to John 19, 25 through 27. Standing near the cross were Jesus' mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother standing there beside the disciple he loved, he said to her, Dear woman, here is your son. And he said to, his, to this disciple, Here is your mother. And from then on, the disciple took her into his home. So John always referred to himself as the disciple he loved. And sometimes we kind of chuckle at that and look at that, but really it was humble because he didn't want to say his own name. He just wanted to talk about Jesus. One of my favorite things and that we're still a couple weeks away from Easter, but one of my favorite instances of that, of his humility mixed kind of like with his, 
not quite humility, was when it talks about, he talks about Peter and John racing to the tomb, and he throws in that the disciple he loved got there first. And I just love that, because like he's humble, but also, yeah, I got to point out that I beat Peter in a race. But what we see here, we learn so much about John from this small passage. Because you see that he's standing right in front of the cross. All of the other disciples have fled. Everyone else is hiding. Everyone else is scared. And not that he's not scared. But he's standing at the foot of the cross with Jesus' mom. So he's not exactly hiding. He's in plain sight because all he can see is Jesus. All he knows is Jesus' love. And again, he's not perfect and he's not the ultimate disciple or anything, but he is there at the cross. And he's steady. We see that he's strong, that he's loving, that he's loyal. And another thing we see in this passage is Jesus just says to him, here is your mother. And the next thing it says is he took her into his home. Jesus doesn't say, hey, please do this. He doesn't say, I am calling you to do this. He just says, here's your mother. And John took that and understood it, understood the heart of the matter, understood what Jesus was saying. He recognized the meaning, recognized the truth, and he took care of her. He showed that love. Sometimes, and maybe even often, we really want things spelled out for us. We don't want to act until it's been written out exactly how we should act. And we really want things to be clear. Well, I want to love everybody, but please tell me exactly how. Like, what does this look like? And a lot of times that's because we want to find the minimum line of effort. It's easy with our relatives, although not always. But we will look at that and think, well, how much do I have to do? You know, what is the line where I can kind of stop? Like, I really love people, but, eh, you know, some people, I don't know. Like, do I really have to love Purdue fans? Yes. Or for you guys, do I really have to love Michigan fans? Do I have to, if I see Jim Harbaugh down the street, do I have to go shake his hand and hug him? The answer, no, you don't have to shake his hand and hug him. But yes, you do have to love him, although I saw several heads turn. (laughs) So we'll talk after. But we want it spelled out and we want it easy. And again, sometimes with our family, we're able to look at that and we see their needs and we're aware. And so it's a little easier. But an important thing and what John shows us here is family doesn't end in blood. And all of us are united by the blood of Christ, which was poured out for us on the cross, which was poured out for us freely. And in such a sacrificial way. And John shows us how to do that, how to take that, how to live that. And so I have a quote from John, actually, and this is kind of cheating because it's scripture. It's 1 John 3.18, but it's still a quote. Our love should not be just words and talk. It must be true love, which shows itself in action. And John shows this. John could have easily stood at the cross and said, yes, Jesus, I'll take her into my house. Yes, I'll do all of this. And then just kind of been like, ah, you know what, Mary, I'll talk to you later. But he took her into his home. He took care of her. He recognized the need. And if you read through all of John's books of the Bible, and I challenge you to do that by next week. And go ahead and fill in the rest of them in between, too. And you read through it, you're going to see love mentioned a lot. He saw everything through the eyes of love. And it's amazing when you read uh, like Paul's books and, and Peter's books and how they each had a different perspective on things. 
But John's was all through love and through love one another, through show the love of Christ. And he saw at the cross Jesus showing him the true meaning of love, the true love that he talks about here, because that was an action. Jesus sacrificing himself for us was an action, and John saw that and never forgot it. It's very easy to say. It's very easy to say, I want to love everybody. I want to show everybody Jesus. I think everybody should have a chance at salvation. It's easy to say that, especially this time of year. But sometimes it's very hard to do. One of the things that I've said in the other service, and I'll probably continue to say, as Christians, we look at the calendar, and there are two times a year where we think, well, people are more receptive to being invited to church. It's Christmas and Easter. I didn't want that to be a surprise or something. It's Christmas and Easter. Thank you. Christmas and Easter. But here's the truth. The truth isn't necessarily that the world is more receptive at those times. The truth is that we act more like Christ at those times. That we show the love of him more at Easter time because we're thinking about the glory of Easter and the victory of Easter. And so we're out there showing it. And at Christmas time, we show it because we're ready for, for just celebrating his birth, celebrating his life. But it's got to be more than just that time of year. It has to be all the time. Uh, going back to, so I used to watch this sitcom called King of Queens. And I didn't just take a hard right turn. I have a point, I promise. And in this episode that I think of whenever I talk about love, uh, Doug and Carrie, that's the husband and wife, and uh, Carrie wanted Doug to do something very sweet. And so she said, hey, I want you to be spontaneous and do something very sweet. Now, here's the thing. When you're told to do something spontaneous, everything you do is because you were told that, so nothing is spontaneous. There are a lot of husbands nodding right now, guys. I don't know what to do with that. I just saw a lot of wives look over to see if their husbands were nodding, so that was kind of fun. <laughs> but throughout the episode, he kept trying to do things, but she's like, yeah, but you did this because I said, and it was rough, and it was difficult, but it's a sitcom, so there was a laugh track. But at the end, they're just sitting there watching TV and eating Chinese food. And she gets a little food in her teeth. And he reaches over and helps her with it. Doesn't ask her, doesn't tell her. And she smiles because she realizes that he's showing his love for her. Because love is an action and it's not just words. It's not just talking about it. There are so many ways to go with John to show this, to talk about his perspective. We, we could talk about when he was called. We could talk about any of his books. But as someone who truly loves Revelation, I want to go to show how steady John was throughout his life, how firm John was throughout his life. And I want to go to Revelation 1, 9 through 20. I, John, am your brother and your partner in suffering, and in God's kingdom, and in the patient endurance to which Jesus calls us. I was exiled to the island of Patmos for preaching the word of God and for my testimony about Jesus. It was the Lord's day, and I was worshiping in the Spirit. Suddenly, I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet blast. It said, write a book, everything you see and send everything you see, 
and send it to the seven churches in the cities of Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. So I mentioned that John wrote a lot about love. And sometimes we think about Revelation as a scary thing. And we think about all the signs and everything that we've heard, but it is truly about love. It is about the fact that God loves us so much. He has a perfect plan for us that encompasses all of time. And so Revelation is a victory, exciting, hopeful book. And for John to be called to write this is an amazing thing because he was the last one living. He watched all of his other disciple friends, his brothers, die. He watched Jesus' brothers die. He watched his Savior die. Now he got to see him come back, but then he saw him go on again to heaven. So John's life was marked by loss. He saw a lot of it, and probably throughout all of it, he was like, when is going to be my time? When do I get to go home? And yet he kept going, he kept preaching, he kept speaking, he kept helping. And he did it so much that he got thrown into exile, in, uh, which Patmos is essentially like the Alcatraz of Rome. And so it wasn't just like one of the fun prisons. He had to do, he had to do work labor all of the time, like he's carrying rocks and making license plates and all these other things that he had to do. And it would have been so easy for him to just shut down and be like, you know what? I've seen so much loss and I just want to see Jesus. I'm just going to give up. But he kept going. And even in exile, he was a missionary to those prisoners. Even with all of the suffering, all of the struggling, even with the forced labor, even being in his 90s, because this isn't young John in prison. This is 60 years after he was with Jesus. Even then, he was living out Christ's love, doing everything he could to show him, even waiting and hoping for the day that he would go home. And I want you to think about that. Imagine that. Imagine being 90. Some of you don't have to. Imagine being 90. And being forced to work and losing everyone you've ever loved. But still showing the love of Christ every single day. It's such an amazing thing. And he's given this honor. This honor of writing out what's going to happen. Writing out the ultimate plan. And he'd been blessed to see Jesus return from, the, from death. But again, to see him go again. To see his friends die. To see all of this. Just over and over again, he had to be thinking, when can I join them? And as I said, this is about 60 years later, and he hears this voice. Now, I know for me, sometimes I'll be at home or just walking around, and I'll hear kind of my name said. Like, I'll hear, uh, like, this voice. Does anybody else ever hear, like, your name or something? Okay, good, because for a second there, I thought I was crazy. But I'll hear a voice or something. And you know, you know it's just like an echo or you know it's your mind or whatever. But so John hears this voice. And he'd been in constant contact with Jesus, I'm sure, through prayer. But he'd not heard that voice audibly for a really long time. And so he hears this voice and it had to tickle something in his mind. And he's like, what is happening? Could this be? What is happening? And he's called by the voice to, to write letters to seven churches in seven cities. 
And there's so much we could do with that, like why the seven churches, why those specific cities. And there's lots of theories that they're in kind of a circle. Uh, They also are like the postal districts. Paul actually wrote letters to seven different churches, so seven obviously comes back again and again. But the point is, through all of the suffering, all of the loss, he hears Jesus' voice. And I have a quote from C.S. Lewis. I know, shocking that I'd use him. It takes courage to live through suffering. And it takes honesty to observe it. It took amazing courage for John to stand at the foot of the cross. It took courage to continue on as everyone around him died. It took courage to continue on as he's thrown into prison. But it took honesty for him to see the suffering of others. To not let his own suffering stop him. To continue to preach of Christ's love, even if he's losing people. To continue to show that. That is true honesty and courage. If I were to go person to person right now, two things would be true. Number one, you'd never let me back here. And number two, each person here would be able to share a time of struggle or a time of suffering, a time of tremendous pain. And they'd all be different because we all go through those times. We all go through those things. And it's so easy to shut down and look within during those times of suffering. That's what the world would say to do. Worry about your own stuff. Care about your own stuff. And it does take tremendous courage to go through that and continue. But man, we're called to do more. We're called to do what John does here. To deal with suffering and to continue preaching the word. To to deal with suffering. To deal with loss and to turn it into gain. To allow him to turn our ashes into beauty. As I said, at Easter, we're ready. We're ready to show love. We're ready to talk about our suffering as a testimony. It has to be more than Easter. For the church to grow. And I don't mean this church necessarily. And I don't mean in numbers. I mean for the church. The capital C church to grow. We have to make it an everyday thing. Like John. We have to live out the story of Jesus. Every single day. Because that's what we're called to do. As hard as it can be. As much as the world would say to do the opposite. As much loss as we can face. We have to do it every day. Let me change that. We get to do that every day. And John shows us how Jesus died on a cross and how that moment must have been so hard to deal with. But he kept going, knowing that Jesus would come back, knowing that one day he would see him again. And he hears that voice. And I want to go to verse 12. When I turned to see who was speaking to me, I saw seven gold lampstands. And standing in the middle of the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man. He was wearing a long robe with a gold sash across his chest. His head and his hair were, were white like wool, as white as snow. And his eyes were like flames of fire. His feet were like polished bronze refined in a furnace. And his voice thundered like mighty ocean waves. He held seven stars in his right hand, and a sharp two-edged sword came from his mouth. And his face was like the sun in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as if I were dead. But he laid his right hand on me and said, Don't be afraid, I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I died, but look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys to death and the grave. 
hearing especially the first part of that scripture, I think some of us are like, see, that's why I don't get revelation. But I want you, before we talk about that, and Jesus himself explains it, and don't worry, I'll go over that. I want you to put yourself in John's place. Put yourself in John's situation here. After a life of loss, a life of service, he hears that voice again. Constantly hoping to see him again, he turns. And he's almost blinded by the light. And it mentions, he mentions seven golden lampstands. The old covenant is represented by one lampstand with seven candles. And so this is the symbolism of the new covenant. But as John turns around, the light's not coming from the lamps. It's coming from Jesus, from his glory. And after 60 years, he sees his Savior once again. After wishing over and over again, hoping over and over again, praying over and over again to be reunited with him in heaven, in a prison, amidst suffering, he sees his face again. And his heart must have been racing, his pulse was going, his breath was quick. And he saw Jesus. It mentions the uh, guardians, the angels. There are some that say that the angels are the guardian angels of each church. Uh, there are some that say it represents the spirit of Christ in each church, the, the spirit, Holy Spirit in each church. There are some that say angels represent the pastors in each church. And so if you think all pastors are angels, maybe you think that. Good, no laughter is good. I don't know what that means, so we'll go with that. But the point is, the most important part is not necessarily the symbolism and what it means. It's that he is standing amidst that. And the lampstands represent the churches because Jesus himself says that. He explains that the seven stars are the seven angels. He explains that the seven lampstands are the seven churches. But he's standing there with them. Third is right hand, which brings to mind a, a, a paraphrase of an old song. Jesus has the whole church in his hand. At all times, he is with us. At all times, he lifts the church. And John gets to see this. And my one revelation-y comment here is it mentions his eyes and it mentions his feet. And, and his feet weren't literally bronze. But it means... They were strong. They were pure. His eyes represented the fire, the integrity, the, the heat, the, the glory. But the sword is where people can get kind of tripped up. Now, it doesn't mean that Jesus was carrying around a sword in his mouth now. He wasn't. I feel comfortable in saying that. But it's the word of God. And it mentions that it's two-edged. Which means that absolutely it can be used to cut down people. But it also means if you use it but aren't living by it, it'll cut you too. And John is saying that because he sees it in him. He sees the truth. He sees the power. He sees the glory. He immediately falls to the ground in worship, in love. And he's so overwhelmed. And then Jesus reaches out to his shore. After 60 years, he feels Jesus' touch again, giving him assurance 
After everything Jesus did for him, Jesus' thought is to give John assurance. And so John, after a life of steadiness, after a life of struggle, after a life of hope, sees his Savior again. And he's given an important task to write Revelation. He's given the joy, the the encouragement of seeing Jesus again. Sometimes it can be hard. Because as I said, we all go through times of suffering and we really don't get this moment. We don't often get to turn in the midst of our, our loss, in the midst of our pain, and see Jesus standing there. But I promise you that he is. But more than that, as much as we desire to see him again, we are called to go beyond that. We are called to see him in others. And so I have one more quote, and this is also from C.S. Lewis. I believe in Christ like I believe in the sun. Not because I can see it, but by it I can see everything else. I believe in Christ because by him I can see everything else. It would be awesome. If when everything is breaking down and you're hurting and you're losing and and things are just tough, that you turn around and see him standing there. But we are called in the midst of our suffering to see him in the suffering of others, to see his love in the look of others, to look at other people in the way he looked at them and the way he looks at them. And at some point in our lives, we will eventually see him again like this. And it's going to be amazing. But in the meantime, we are called to do what John did. To walk each day in his name. To preach his love. To show his love. To to be like his love. And when we want to see him. To look at others. And see him in them. See his work in them. See his love in them. See the potential they have that he sees. And that's what Revelation is about. That's what John's life was about. It's about the realization of that love. The the ultimate victory. We are called to be different than the world. Sometimes we take that to mean, well, the world is different. And so we succeed. But we're called to go beyond that. John, even after losing everybody, even in prison, looked for Jesus everywhere. That's what we can do. We can see him in our losses. We can see him in our wins. We can see him in our suffering. We can see him in each person we meet, whether we like them or not. Because his love is with us. And just like it guided John, it also guides us. That's all I got.